Here they come. Right now, they're gathering from hospitals all across America for Talk 10 Tuesday. They know there's important news and information just ahead. Don't miss out. Come in, sit down, and log on. It's Talk 10 Tuesday with Chuck Buck and co-host Dr. Erica Reamer. Here now is the publisher of ICD-10 Monitor, Chuck Buck. Thank you, Clark Anthony. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 428th live edition of Talk 10 Tuesday, and brought to you in part today by ICD University. And joining me this morning as my co-host is the super popular Dr. Erica Reamer. Dr. Reamer is the founder and the president of Erica Reamer, MD Incorporated, and good morning, Erica. And a very fine good morning to you, Chuck, and to everyone. Our lead story this morning is about the CMS 2021 Outpatient Perspective Payment System. That's the OPS proposed rule. And no surprise, the proposal is already generating controversy. And sure enough, especially the proposal to remove the inpatient-only list over a period of three years, including removal of nearly 300 musculoskeletal procedures in 2021. Ooh, that's got to be good news for ambulatory surgery centers, I would imagine. Perhaps. And <laughs> speaking of good news, Glenn Krauss, joins us later this morning to report good news for making CDI more responsive to the current healthcare environment. That is good news. And more good news is also coming your way this morning. Lori Johnson has a Talk Tuesday coding report. Lots of news there. And you have a talkback segment this morning. What is on your radar screen? I'm going to be informing our listeners of breaking news about the COVID-19 payment adjustment. Wow, looking forward to that uh, segment indeed. We do have a lot of news to report, including Erica's uh, talkback segment later in this broadcast. And we begin this morning with Tim Powell. He's at the Talk 10 Tuesday News Desk. The Talk 10 Tuesday News Desk is sponsored by ICD University Bookstore, reminding you that Dr. Eric Reamer's ICD-10 flowcharts provide quick guidance to the correct diagnosis codes for potential COVID-19 cases. Use the ICD-10 Monitor Resources tab at the top of the web room for more information. Here now is Tim Powell. Thanks, Chuck. And the 340B Drug Program and the related Prime Vendor Program, or PVP, provides discounts on the purchases of outpatient drugs to certain providers. For many nonprofit and rural providers, the 340B Drug Program is a lifeline that provides drugs that are often given out to patients that can't afford to pay their bills. It appears Medicare's big concern is that participating providers may benefit by buying the drugs at a discount and then when the drugs are separately billable and then sold back to Medicare for Medicare patients. So in my article, I'm including a guide as to the qualifications for the 340B drug program. Um, But back in January, Medicare slashed payments for certain drugs under the 340B drug program. Medicare slashed payments for these separately billable drugs from 6% over the standard average sales price, or ASD, to 22% less than the ASD. The American Hospital Association filed suit and surprisingly won a rate-setting battle when a district court ruled that Medicare had exceeded its statutory authority in making cuts and that the underlying data to support the computation for the rate cuts just wasn't there. On July 31st, the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals overturned the lower court ruling, allowing the cut from 2018 to stand. In the proposed rule, Medicare is driving the knife in deeper by further reducing the payment from ASP minus 22.5% to ASP minus 28.7%. It's not clear whether or not CMS is wringing out the profit on these separately billable drugs or creating a situation where providers are losing money when they provide these drugs. 
it does seem that part of the cut may be designed to punish hospitals for disputing rate cuts and making further cut by making further cuts. And with that, back to you, Chuck. Thanks, Tim, very much. That was Tim Powell. Tim is a compliance expert and an ICD-10 Monitor National Correspondent. It's Tuesday, it's August the 18th, and on this date in history, in 1920, the U.S. Congress ratified the 19th Amendment, granting women the right to vote. Today, you're listening to the 428th Live Edition of Talk 10 Tuesday. Stand by. Buried in the thousands of pages of the 2021 IPPS final rule are details that are critical to your organization's financial health. Register now for a three-part series on the many changes to the ICD-10 CMPCS code sets and updates to guidelines, designations, and methodology. With so much to digest, you'll appreciate the guidance, instruction, and insights provided by nationally renowned ICD-10 coding expert Lori Johnson during this upcoming webcast series. Count on Lori to help you master crucial details in the final rule, including new concepts, codes, designations, and MSDRG changes. Make sure you and your team are ready and confident on October 1st. Register now to attend 2021 IPPS Final Rule Webcast Series, Three Programs to Improve Your Performance. Part 1 begins Tuesday, September 15th. Register now. And a programming note, CMS has yet to release the 2021 IPS Final Rule, and that means this important three-part webcast series has been rescheduled. Start on Tuesday, September the 15th. You have more time to register, but precious little time to prepare since the rule becomes effective October the 1st, so be sure to register now. Here now with the Talk to Tuesday Coding Report is the aforementioned Lori Johnson, and good morning, Lori. Good morning, Chuck. Good morning, Erica, and hello to our listeners. It's been a while since we chatted about the Coordination and Maintenance Committee meeting. The next meeting will be held September 8th and 9th, beginning at 9 a.m. Eastern Time. Lunch will be from 12.30 p.m. to 1.15 p.m., and the meetings will close at 5 o'clock. The diagnosis topics are led by the CDC, and the tentative agenda includes acute flaccid myelitis, which was last week's Talk 10 Tuesday coding report, anaplastic large cell lymphoma, ALK <coughs> negative of the breast, cervicogenic headache, cough, endometriosis, hereditary alpha tryptosemia, immune effector cell-associated neurotoxicity syndrome, complications of immune effector cellular therapy, immunization counseling, mild cognitive disorder due to known physiologic condition, pyruvate kinase deficiency, post-procedure anastomotic leak of digestive system organ, refractory angina pectoris, short stature, and, of course, the addenda. The procedure topics are presented by CMS, and the tentative agenda includes administration of several medications, CAR T-cell immunotherapies, embolic protection, spinal spinal stabilization and posterior dynamic spinal stabilization, restriction of coronary sinus, single-use duodenoscope during ERCP, insertion of implantable bone void filler, vertebral body tethering, Section 8 updates, and agenda. The meetings will begin with the procedure topics with the diagnosis material to follow. I have provided copies of the tentative agendas 
which are available in the handouts tab on the left-hand side of the screen. The meeting will be conducted over Zoom, and you'll have the ability to comment using the chat feature. Questions may be asked during the question and answer portions by using the raise your hand feature. All comments and questions with answers will be posted in the download section of the website. If you prefer not to comment during the meeting, you may submit comments using the appropriate email addresses. This is an important opportunity to participate in the development of ICD-10 codes. Remember that continuing education credits are awarded by AHIMA and AAPC for your participation, and they are free except for your time. And Erica, I know you'll be listening and commenting during the Coordination <coughs> Maintenance Committee meeting. Thanks, Lori. That was Lori Johnson. Lori is a Senior Healthcare Consultant for Revenue Cycle Solutions, LLC. As we mentioned at the top of the broadcast, Glenn Krause has some news to report when it comes to CDI, Clinical Documentation Integrity. Here now is Glenn Krause. Thank you, Chuck. Good morning, everyone. The end of February is when the COVID-19 pandemic started taking hold with the outbreak of the virus at a long-term care center in the Seattle area. This also marked a time when the deep-seated, long-entrenched current limitations of CDI programs really surfaced. What specifically are these limitations? What are the contributing factors? And how best to address and overcome these limitations? What is holding the CDI profession back is the design and intent of the CDI program from its inception, pushed, promoted, and marketed by CDI consulting companies as a way to optimize physician documentation and case mix through documentation of CCs and CCs using the query process as the mainstay of programs. Documentation of CCs, MCCs by queries is simply put, not CDI, but clinical reimbursement improvement, CRI, that often does not pan out lest we forget the proverbial clinical validation denials, medical necessity denials, and DRG downgrades. This is upfront feel-good money. The backside is the painful remittance where the reimbursement is not what you thought it was going to be or the payer withholds money on current remittances to collect recoupments. Focusing upon the outcomes not supported by solid, well-designed processes that sustain positive outcomes of documentation improvement and integrity over time is a lesson in futility. Ill-conceived and cost-costly. This is exactly what ails the CDI profession. CDI is task-based versus role-based. Proof is in the KPIs that we're all too familiar with, number of charts reviewed, number of queries left, number of CCs, MCs captured, etc. Any reasonable forward-thinking CDI leader should realize that current task-based activities have not and will not improve the integrity of the record, regardless of whether you call it CDI, I for improvement, or I for integrity. True CDI leaders must reject the notion that employing and utilizing more software promoting prioritization and efficiency in chart review, and improvement in documentation with increased CCMCC capture is the ticket to a better, more robust CDI program. Effective CDI leaders will recognize and embrace the need for complete, total overhaul of current CDI programs. Taking the lead in making a compelling case and argument for a redesign, reformatting, and rebranding of current CDI processes. Rather than be reactive, repetitive, and transactional in nature, CDI must be proactive, 
CDI must become more knowledgeable and proficient in best practices of charting that can be shared with physicians and providers. This means a commitment to holding CDS accountable for expanding their breadth, knowledge, depth, and competencies, and confidence in being able to conduct holistic record review and identify real insufficiencies in documentation. This also means CDI leaders stepping out of their comfort level, setting the example, and acquiring these same skill sets and core knowledge. CDI leadership can begin the process of CDI transformation, showcasing their leadership skills by gathering the data, making a compelling case for expanding and redesigning current CDI processes with intent and emphasis upon processes that are designed and intended to achieve real meaningful integrity in the medical record versus today's approach that offers nothing more than lip service to the role of the profession. That is real CDI. Thank you very much, and over to you. Thanks, Glenn. That was Glenn Krauss. Glenn is the founder and the creator of CoreCDI.com. And you can read Glenn's report on this very important subject in today's ICD-10 Monitor News. And coming up next, an inside look at the 2021 Ops Proposed Rule. That's when Susan Gatehouse joins us to dissect the proposal that's creating controversy. That's our lead story, and it's coming your way in just 60 seconds. This is Talked In Tuesday. Stand by. Gather with your peers to share and learn best practices and effective solutions to build a more connected, accurate, and innovative tomorrow at the AHIMA 20 Virtual Conference. Enjoy interactive networking opportunities, speaking with solution providers, and hearing from industry experts. Topics include clinical coding, clinical documentation integrity, revenue cycle management, social determinants of health, and more. Full registrants receive complimentary access to more than 100 session recordings after the event, including CEUs. Learners also have the option to register for the clinical coding track only. Visit conference.ahima.org for more information and to register. Plan to join your peers October 14th through 17th. There would no longer be an inpatient-only list. There would be more cuts to the Beleaguer 340B drug program and a new look at the hospital rating system. Those are among the proposals in the CMS 2021 Ops proposed rule. Dissecting the 2021 Ops is Susan Gatehouse, who joins us now. And good morning, Susan. Good morning to all. You are absolutely right. There's a, certainly a lot to dissect in this year's proposed rule to include several controversial topics. I'll hit the high points in hope, hoping or in hopes of providing a sound framework um, in reviewing the proposed rule and as well as when the final rule is released. So again, it's a framework for us to go by. It certainly doesn't include everything, but we'll walk through the high points. With that said, the first point to note is timing. The final comment period is October the 5th, 2020. Typically, we find that the final rule is released on November 2nd. Due to COVID, this date has been pushed back to December 2nd, so please make note of that change. As Erica stated, one area of contention is the elimination of the inpatient-only rule. Historically, this list of procedures could only be performed and reimbursed in an inpatient setting. Over the next three years, Medicare has proposed to start with the removal of approximately 300 musculoskeletal-related services. 
Many providers have been in favor of this change for quite some time. While AHA opposes this elimination of the list due to some procedural complexities, complexities that may require care in the inpatient setting. The comment period for this is paramount regarding, regarding the inpatient only list because of the number of procedures on the list. Currently, there's 1,700 inpatient only services on the list, so please make note of that. Another significant change that Tim talked about earlier in, this, in, in the broadcast is the 340B drug plan. And this is a topic that does not seem to go away. CMS has proposed to make payment to 340B drugs at an average sales price minus 28.7% beginning in 2021. And this is instead of the average sales price minus a negative 22.5%. The proposed adjustment is expected to decrease payment by $427 million. CMS has stated that they will make adjustments elsewhere in hopes of this impact being budget neutral to hospitals. We could spend hours on this topic. In fact, this policy was recently, as Tim stated, in the Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia in late July. It was actually two days before the proposed rule was released. So there's definitely more to come on this topic. I would certainly encourage you to, to read this portion of the OPPS, if nothing else, because it does have a significant impact on organizations. Also, there are pass-through items, seven which are eligible, and 28 which expire December 31st, 2020, and those would be in your appendix of your proposed rule. There are two new comprehensive APCs related to urology and related services and neurostimulators and related procedures. This increases the total amount of comprehensive APCs to 69. So please make note or just as a, as a reminder of what comprehensive APCs are because they're relatively new. The past few years, um, we've seen that OPPS has added the comprehensive APCs. And, and to make it in a very straightforward definition, it's your, it's your standard procedure or your significant procedure and all the services related to that procedure are bundled into one payment. So OPPS or CMS has stated that their goal is to move in the direction of having more and more comprehensive APCs. So this is just, again, to make note that they are moving in that direction and we're currently at 69 if those two are approved. Also proposed by CMS is an adjustment in the methodology to the overall hospital star rating program. And please make note that I'm stating the word overall. There have been there's been controversy surrounding the star rating system since its inception. The objective of the change is to simplify its methodology to make it more predictable um, that it's been used in the past in terms of comparability of hospital ratings. The proposed rule suggests a six-step process to measure over time, which will decrease and, and will also decrease the area of measurement. So, to make it simpler to implement, also the predictability of it, in hopes of the six-step process being followed will make the overall system more palatable for all. And I stated overall system to make note that there are no changes as far as measures that are added or removed for the outpatient quality reporting program 
or the ASC quality reporting program. So that's why I stated overall. As I, as, as I stated before, there is a lot to discuss in terms of the, the proposed rules. So I would certainly encourage you to look at the fact sheet um, about the proposed rule, and this will give you all of the detail. Again, I hit the highlights, um, and that will be on the Talk to Tuesday website in terms of an article as well as a link. Back to you, Erica. Thank you, Susan. That was Susan Gatehouse. Susan is the founder and CEO of Axia Solutions. Chuck? Thanks, Erica, and thank you again, Susan. Susan is a member of the ICD-10 Monitor Editorial Board, and you can read her excellent analysis of the 2021 Ops Proposed Rule in today's edition of the ICD-10 News. Now it's time for a very popular segment here at Talk 10 Tuesdays. It's called Talk Back, and it features our very own Dr. Erica Reamer. Dr. Reamer, you have some breaking news. Yes, I do. Well, Chuck, I wish we could flash a big breaking news banner across the bottom of the screen. All the, all the news reports, all the best news reports have them now. Um, last night, Dr. Ronald Hirsch brought this to my attention, and I felt that it was really important to um, get it uh, into our um, podcast. So I actually um, bumped what I was going to talk about, and I'll talk about that next week. An MLN Matters article was revised yesterday, and it regards the 20% increase in weighting of the MSDRG for COVID-19. April 1st, 2020, an unprecedentedly rapid addition to ICD-10-CM occurred, incorporating the World Health Organization's ICD-10 code of U07.1, which indicates COVID-19, and in ICD-10, they have the modifier virus identified. We did not import U07.2 COVID-19 virus not identified, unfortunately. The code of U07.1 in the United States is utilized for the diagnosis of COVID-19 on the basis of a positive molecular or antigen test or on a clinical basis. It is extremely important that the clinician be able to make the diagnosis of COVID-19 clinically. Not only have we had significant issues in having sufficient testing to be able to perform it on any patient we feel warrants it, but there are many false negatives, up to 30%. A physician must treat a patient appropriately, even in the face of a negative test result. The provisions of Section 3710 of the Coronavirus Aid, Relief, and Economic Security, or CARES Act, allowed for an increase of 20% reimbursement by adjusting the MSDRG weight for admissions, which include U07.1, COVID-19, as a principal or secondary diagnosis. Yesterday's revision mandates, as of September 1, 2020, any claim asserting entitlement of the upcharge must have a positive COVID-19 laboratory test documented in the medical record. The test need not be performed during the index admission, but it is mandated to have been performed within 14 days of a hospitalization. The notice says it can be, quote, manually entered, close quote, into the patient's medical record. In other words, a positive test which predates the admission may be imported into the medical record and serve as proof without requiring retesting. This may be especially problematic, however, 
If a patient has a positive test in different institution or healthcare system than the one in which they're hospitalized, or they self-identified and had it done at CVS, there is a sentence in the notice which I can't even interpret. It goes like this, quote, in the rare circumstance where a viral test was performed more than 14 days prior to the hospital admission, CMS will consider whether there are complex medical factors in addition to that test result for purposes of this documentation requirement. Close quote. Actually, I can interpret it. I interpret it as, good luck with that and don't count on that money. What about the patient who has a quintessential presentation of COVID-19 and, mul- and a negative test? How many times must it be repeated before giving up? Subjecting a patient to multiple tests, especially if they are nasopharyngeal swab PCR tests, seems unduly harsh and a waste of resources. The scariest part of this, perhaps, is that the pricer is going to continue to apply the adjustment factor for discharges with U07.1. The money will be recouped if CMS finds there is no documented laboratory test in post-payment record review. If the provider makes the diagnosis on a clinical basis, it will be the hospital's responsibility to decline the additional payment by notifying the MAC and having them notate the claim with an internal processing code. There is no discussion of this in the MLN Matters article, but what do you think they are going to do if this is not done or not done in a timely or routine fashion? Interest, penalties, prosecution for false claims? Are providers going to stop making the diagnosis on a clinical basis when they can't obtain a viral test? The bottom line, are hospitals not having enough trouble already? They have lost rivers of revenue stream by elective surgeries being put on hold. Patients who should be seeking medical attention for COVID-unrelated problems aren't for fear of being exposed in the hospital. Their first-line healthcare workers are stressed and exposed and infected. They have had to cut salaries, furlough workers, lay off and fire personnel. Haven't the hospitals and patients suffered enough? Thanks, Erica, very, very much. We've asked our panelists to stick around to answer some questions that have been coming in. And Erica, I just want to circle back and ask you, what do you think is uh, prompting this, uh, this new issue from CMS? Well, I, you know, personally, I think that what happened was um, they were under the impression that this was all going to just sort of mac- miraculously disappear and we weren't going to have that many cases. So I guess the generosity of having this um, uh, increase in payment seemed reasonable until all of a sudden we have, you know, 170,000 deaths and um, they are expending a lot of money. So the answer, the short answer, Chuck, is money. It's always money. You're right. Always seems to be money. That's the bottom line. Lori Johnson, I want to circle back and ask you a question about the Coordination and Maintenance Committee meeting. Uh, when does that meeting take place? And it's a two-day meeting, as I recall. Is that right? It is a two-day meeting, and it will be held September 8th and 9th. All right. Very good. Erica, do you see the questions that came in from Wendy, please? 
I do. Um, Wendy's asking for the link to the MLN about COVID payment requirements for the lab test documentation. Uh, and what I'm going to say is that um, we're going to be posting my uh, article as a special news bulletin, and the uh, link is going to be embedded in that. So, I, you know, either check that or you could always um, Google CMS LMN Matters um, August 17th, 2020, and you should be able to find that one, too. That's going to be a wrap for our 428th live edition of Talk Dead Tuesday. And I want to thank you all very much for being with us today. I want to thank Glenn Klaus, Lori Johnson, Tim Powell, Susan Gatehouse, who reported our lead story, and, of course, our co-host, Dr. Eric Greenberg. And one more thing before we go. Today is the 100th anniversary of the 19th Amendment, granting women the right to vote. So if you haven't already, today might be a good day to register to vote in the upcoming presidential election. And remember, you can listen to all the Talk Ten Tuesday podcasts anytime, anywhere, on any device. It's absolutely free. You can listen to us on Stitcher, Apple, Spotify, Google. Until next Tuesday, I'm Chuck Buck reporting for IC10 Monitor and Talk Ten Tuesday. Thank you very much for being with us today, and be sure to wear your face mask. Talk Ten Tuesday is a production of ICD10 Monitor.